Hello, and welcome to the Spring Podcast, where socialist ideas take action. I am your host, Laura Conrad. The Spring Podcast is recorded from Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people, and is produced by the Spring Socialist Network. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are joined by Jesse. Jesse is an organizer with the Decent Work and Health Network in Toronto. Welcome, Jesse. So can you tell us a little bit about the Decent Work and Health Network, about its mission, and maybe how the organization has grown in the past year and a half or so? Yeah, so the, the Decent Work and Health Network is a group of uh, health workers and trainees across Ontario uh, who advocate for uh, better health by addressing working and employment conditions. Um, so it was first founded in 2014 by the Workers' Action Centre and Health Providers Against Poverty. And it basically uh, brings a health lens to worker-led campaigns against precarious employment. Um, so there's basically a few things to do. The first is that we want to advocate for patients as uh, so we speak out against the health impacts of precarious employment. Um, now, obviously, workers themselves are the experts about their own employment conditions. Um, and so we want to follow the lead of the Workers' Action Centre and identifying what issues most impact workers. But precarious work actually makes it difficult for a lot of workers to speak out for fear of reprisal. And workers' opinions in general are devalued, just like their health. So our first role is to really try to amplify the voices and experiences of workers, um, for example, like through op-eds. Um, another way that we get involved is as public health advocates. So wages and working conditions are key, uh, what we call social determinants of health that really determine the, um, you know, what illnesses um, exist, exist across society, the, the distribution of those illnesses, the impact. Um, and so we present the public health evidence for progressive labor policies. So, for example, through reports and open letters. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest ways that we've uh, grown is an additional element with, is, uh, is solidarity amongst health workers. So we've really seen, especially through the pandemic, that health workers themselves are in many cases in precarious jobs whether it's nurses who don't have access to paid sick days, PSWs who don't have decent hours or wages, migrant care workers who are denied status, and all of this clearly impacts their own health and also those of their patients. So I think part of uh, what's really helped to, to develop through the pandemic is uh, growing solidarity um, to try to advocate for decent work, decent work for all workers, including precariously employed health workers. In your work as an emergency physician, how do you see the labor movement and healthcare as being related? Yeah, so I got involved around five years ago, I think, when I saw a petition from the Decent Working Health Network, which called for a higher minimum wage, pace of days for all workers, and an end to doctor's notes for minor illnesses. And I had just finished a shift where I saw a worker from Walmart who sustained a concussion at work and needed to get a doctor's note. Now, the main treatment for concussion is to rest in a quiet environment. But this worker had to spend hours at night in a loud and stressful emergency department just for a piece of paper. And this experience obviously directly undermined their recovery. I also saw a patient uh, who was a, a, um, a, sorry, a restaurant worker with gastroenteritis uh, who wondered if they could follow my advice to stay home uh, and recover uh, because without paid sick days, they had to either sacrifice their own financial security uh, by following public health advice or sacrifice public health by going to work sick. Uh, so I joined nearly a thousand health providers across the province in signing this petition, which was delivered to the health minister and was part of the broader decent work campaign, which ended up winning a uh, higher minimum wage, two paid sick days, and it enters up to doctor's notes. This was three years ago. 
Uh, now, as we know, the current government reversed all these gains a year before COVID, um, and the Decent Work and Health Network has been part of the broader Decent Work movement, trying to win back and expand these policies, um, both during the pandemic um, and beyond. Uh, in terms of the, of the emergency department, I've really come to realize that we are basically treating the symptoms and seeing the downstream effects of precarious work. So um, as has been known for literally more than a century, poverty wages make people sick. Without decent wages, people can't afford healthy food or safe shelter. And is including now proven with COVID follows a clear income gradient where the lowest paid have the highest rates of illness. Um, secondly, unsafe working conditions make people sick from migrant farm workers um, who've had to work even after testing positive for COVID, to PSWs who've had to work in multiple long-term care homes because of lack of full-time jobs. Uh, and we've also seen how precarious work undermines access to healthcare, whether it's not being able to afford prescriptions, not being able to take time off to get vaccinated, uh, or not feeling safe to engage in the healthcare system without fear of deportation. So I think if we're serious about promoting health, we need to look upstream and improve the social determinants of health. Can you talk a little bit about what is happening right now in Ontario around paid sick days? Um, maybe explain about Bill 8 and why you are supporting it. Yeah, so this has been a long time coming. Uh, the, the Decent Work and Health Network and the broader movement for decent work uh, have been advocating for paid sick days literally for years before the pandemic. Um, you know, we, we won two, which was far less than what we had asked for originally, but it was the start, and then four cut those. Um, but I think because the movement had been built before the pandemic, and because there was even opposition to the cuts against paid sick days before the pandemic, it means that the demand for paid, paid sick days has really mushroomed throughout the pandemic. We've even had uh, Dr. Teresa Tan, the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, call paid sick days essential to protect worker and community health. And the current government has done its best, initially ignoring paid sick days during the first wave, then claiming they were unnecessary during the second wave because of federal um, retroactive income um, supports. And then finally during the third wave, having to reverse course uh, promise, uh, I know Ford had to promise the best pay sick days in North America, and he provided three, which is at least a reversal of his previous um, policies. And again, this, these have helped access um, to vaccination, but obviously three days um, is inadequate. These are temporary days, and that's just, that's just you know, not going to cut it. Um, and these are also government uh, subsidized sick days, which basically uh, reward employers who have been denying pay sick days all along. Uh, so uh, it's been a year ago almost that the Decent Work and Health Network issued a report outlining key principles for paid sick days. They have to be universally available to all workers, fully paid by employers, immediately accessible without barriers like sick notes, adequate in number, and permanent. And now we actually have a bill that can actually put this public health evidence into practice. This will legislate 10 permanent and employer paid sick days, an additional two weeks during public health emergencies. Um, and so this is a real opportunity um, to recover from the pandemic, to hold the premier accountable to his promise of the best paid sick days in North America, and to really emerge from the pandemic um, a lot stronger. Can you talk about why 10 paid sick days are necessary and why two or three are inadequate? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's really important, in fact, for all levels of government. We've seen in, um, in BC, the government has committed to paid sick days, but they're contemplating, um, you know, two, five, ten. 
and um, when 10 clearly is what workers need. And, and this is, I think, based on one reflection of workers' own lives, and then secondly, on the medical evidence. So in terms of workers' lives, you know, workers need patients if they get sick or injured on the job, like the patients I described with concussion or gastroenteritis. They need paid sick days to access regular um, uh, health visits for preventive health care, like vaccination. They need paid sick days for family emergencies, for their children or, th or for their loved one. If you think of an entire year, 10 days should really be the bare minimum to accommodate all these needs. And there's also evidence. So one of the things we, we did for the report last year was we surveyed physicians across the country. We said, how many days do you recommend workers stay off when they're sick? And so they said the average was for the flu, it was four days. And for the common cold, it was two. So let's say you get the flu once a year and a common cold once a year. That's already six days. Let's say you have one health condition that requires two appointments a year. Let's say you have a kid who has to stay home for two days of an entire year. That's common for the vast majority of workers. That already very quickly adds up to 10. Um, and there's also other studies showing that like any medical intervention, the dose really matters. So a study in the US found that workers with either six to nine paid sick days were far more likely to access preventive health care than those with zero to two. And those with 10 or more were even more likely. So 10 is clearly the bare minimum to accommodate um, workers. And there's also the element of, of equity. We know that workers with disabilities may require more days for their health care needs. Uh, we also know that women disproportionately use paid sick days to care for their children. So any attempt to limit paid sick days is going to have a disproportionate impact on workers with disabilities um, and on women. Uh, so it's really important that we set a bare minimum uh, of 10 days for all. Can you describe some of the opposing arguments against paid sick days and uh, maybe who the main drivers of those arguments are, who benefits from workers not having adequate paid sick days, and some some of the consequences of workers not having adequate paid sick days. Yeah, it's a good question. And thankfully, these arguments have waned a little bit during the pandemic, but they're, they're always there under the surface. Um, and I think before getting into the, to the evidence, it's worthwhile dissecting the premise of these arguments, because 42% of workers already have access to paid sick days. They use them appropriately. And there's clear evidence that workers with paid sick days and their children are more likely to stay home when sick, more likely to have access to primary care, less likely to rely on the emergency department. So paid sick days work. The, the real argument is against expanding paid sick days to the other 58% of workers who are disproportionately low income, migrant and racialized workers. So it's actually these workers who, is, who are being accused by these arguments of either abusing paid sick days or of ruining the economy through having employers pay for them. Because uh, those are generally the kind of two main arguments. It's either workers abuse them or we can't have employers pay for them. But it, it's clear that that's not actually a problem for, for those paid sick days that already exist. So why is there such opposition to expanding them to all? Um, and when we actually look at where they've been expanded to all, um, those, those myths just really melt away. So in San Francisco, they mandated up to nine employer paid sick days more than a decade ago. So this is not new, this is a very old policy. And again, as expected, it disproportionately benefited low income and racialized workers who have been denied. Um, there's a follow-up survey showing that actually the vast majority of employers supported the new law. And similar thing on the other side of the country in New York City, 
They mandated um, employer paid sick days, including to undocumented part-time and temporary workers. And the Chamber of Commerce, representing big, big business at the time, predicted that it would invite abuse. They predicted that it would ruin small business. Um, but an actual employer survey found that the vast majority of small businesses actually supported the legislation because paid sick days result in workers being healthier and result in healthier workplaces. Um, so clearly most people, even most small employers, support paid sick days, but clearly there is this opposition. And so I think it indicates that there are some businesses that actually do have a material interest in denying paid sick days. And I don't think it's those small businesses that really rely on you know, small numbers, or regular healthy workers. It's these large businesses for whom you know, hundreds of workers might be disposable, replaceable, and for whom paid sick days is actually an obstacle to policing workers. So that same study in New York City found that the vast majority of small businesses would not retaliate against workers for taking a paid sick day. But two thirds of large businesses did retaliate. So these large businesses are actually using, um, are actually kind of going after sick workers and using the fact that workers are sick as a, as a, as a method to discipline, to get rid of workers and to replace them. Um, now this is, I think, bad policy, pretty cool at, during the healthiest of times. When it comes to a pandemic, this, these policies are absolutely catastrophic. And we've seen, of course, how, how the lack of paid sick days has really fueled uh, workplace transmission uh, during COVID. So you mentioned a couple of cities in the United States having legislated paid sick days. Um, countries like Germany and Australia already have 10 legislated paid sick days for workers. Why is Canada so far behind on this issue? Uh, that's a great question. I'm, I'm actually really curious about the historical roots. I have no idea, but I mean, it obviously reflects the weakness of the labor movement or the, the relative strength of the Canadian employers. Um, and and I think that you know people have kind of been shocked that you know people think oh, you know that Canada you know must have good policies for some reason, but obviously the pandemic has shown that not to be the case. And it is important to highlight this deficiency within the Canadian economy. I think at the moment Ford is kind of going on a campaign saying he's going to go against foreign recruiters as their precarious work as this kind of malevolent thing coming from outside the country. But paid sick days shows that it's homegrown. Canadian businesses who've been denying basic labor protections to their workers uh, for years. Um, and that this was, um, you know, a, a lot of people talked about COVID being unprecedented and that we had no idea this was going to come about. But there was another pandemic more than a decade ago, the H1N1 pandemic. Um, and out of that, the World Health Organization uh, warned that the lack of paid sick leave allowed the pandemic to spread through workplaces. Um, and again, disproportionately impacting low income and racialized frontline workers. So COVID is like a repeat all over again, uh, for which jurisdictions had a decade to adopt. And all we had was, um, you know, Quebec and Ontario provide a couple paid sick days and then Ford and Ontario cut them. Um, but I think that what's been, you know, as, as far behind as we started off, I think it's encouraging to see this real sea change when it comes to public opinion. Obviously, we haven't won the legislation, but I think that we have really won the battle of public opinion. Uh, despite all these myths, now the vast majority of people across the country support paid sick days. Uh, this includes, at least in Ontario, a majority of voters across all parties, including in the Conservative Party, when I think of voters. And because the movement was
pandemic because it's been built through the pandemic. Uh, now there's this real strong drive that we need to have paid sick days. And we're getting close to this actually being implemented in government policy. So on, on the West Coast, the BC government will be implementing paid sick days. So they have to be pushed to implement 10, not five or, or even less. And now we have Bill 8 in Ontario, which is a really key opportunity to finally translate the years of medical evidence, the growing public opinion, finally into government policy. So do you believe that uh, the Ford Conservative government will go ahead and legislate 10 paid sick days and maybe explain why you believe that or not? Uh, certainly not voluntarily. I mean, we saw that one of the first actions of the government was to freeze the minimum wage, cut paid sick days, and bring back sick notes. That was basically all the demands that we had fought for within the Decent Work and Health Network. And when they when they took away those policies, that was against, you know, a majority in the opinion polls who support paid sick days. That was also against not only the Ontario Medical Association, but the Canadian Medical Association was pleading, don't bring back sick notes. And they did so anyway. And we know these policies made the pandemic worse. Um, but what has been hopeful is despite that, you know, doctor's notes for minor illnesses were scrapped, at least when it came to COVID. Um, Ford had to bring back temporary paid sick days. And just recently he announced an increase in, in the minimum wage. So now all three demands of the Decent Work and Health Network before the pandemic, which Ford cut, he's been forced to at least partially reverse. Now, I think, you know, if he were serious um, about being worker friendly, he would expand these and make them permanent. So now the demands, you know, again, are legislate a permanent end to doctor's notes, 20 dollar minimum wage for all workers and 10 paid sick days for all plus uh, 14 during a pandemic. Um, I don't believe that he'll willingly do any of these things, but I think what we have, you know, seen during the pandemic is that organizing actually works that we don't have to wait until the next election. We can make significant gains now, and it's quite urgent that we do. Um, and the more that we can demand these gains now, the more that we can actually make them an election issue if he continues uh, to oppose these basic, very basic labor protections. Um, so I would encourage everybody to get involved, either with the Justice for Workers campaign, uh, contact your MPP, tell them to vote for Bill 8. Uh, and if you're a health provider, uh, get involved with the Decent Work and Health Network. Those are some great calls to action. Um, could you maybe share with our listeners um, where where you find your strength to continue on in this fight? Um, yeah, how do you draw strength to keep going? Um, I mean, I'd, you know, I, I'm not I'm not so personally affected by these policies, you know, as um, so I think, you know, seeing people who actually not, are not only fighting for these, but actually have the lived experience, like, that's far more, um, you know, that's far more, more inspiring than I could ever hope to do. Uh, so, you know, seeing that, 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 that people who are affected by precarious work are, are organizing um, and are joining with others and are changing their own, their own conditions and rallying others behind them. That's what really kind of motivates me. And I think, especially with the issue of paid sick days, you know, it's been, it's been, um, you know, workers and mainly non-unionized workers, low-income workers, racialized workers who have not had paid sick days, who've been organizing for this for years and years and years, and have rallied initially a very small number of health providers behind them. Um, and now across Ontario, you know, after it took a few waves, but eventually every medical officer of health, every mayor, 
um, you know, every media outlet was saying paid sick days now. And so these are demands that have, um, even though, you know, physicians and other health providers get a disproportionate uh, share of, of the media, this is really a worker-led campaign. And that's what really inspires me is, is work of others. Could you talk a little bit more about the situation of healthcare workers who themselves do not have access to paid sick days? Sure, and yeah, this has been really an area that I continue to have to remind myself about, and that I think has kind of shocked most people when they hear about it. You know, we've been, especially during through a pandemic, we've now had, you know, coming up to two years where the main public health message has been, has been support frontline health providers, stay home and sick. You know, we don't want to overwhelm the health system. We want to support the frontline health providers. So if you get sick, stay home. Not realizing that many of these same frontline health providers don't have the ability to stay home when sick um, without paid sick days. So in other words, they will be financially punished for following that, that public health advice, or they will go to work sick, neither of which is an acceptable option. And so this can include nurses. Uh, so some of our members and organizers are nurses who are advocating for paid sick days for their patients who themselves do not have paid sick days. These can be migrant care workers uh, who are denied paid sick days as part of their overall denial of status and of, of other basic workplace protections. These, these would be personal support workers. Um, and everybody saw what a catastrophe it was when the long-term care system was hit. And Canada actually uh, had one of the worst rates of deaths within long-term care. Uh, and one of the reasons is because of the lack of paid sick days, the lack of decent hours. Uh, so personal support workers had to go from place to place because they didn't have full-time hours. And if they got sick, they had no paid sick days. Um, so I think this has definitely been something that continues to be a really central you know, reason why we need the demand for paid sick days for all. Um, and how it can impact not only the spread of the disease, but also access to the vaccine. So when the vaccine first came out, there was a survey by SEIU Healthcare, um, and they pulled their own members who found that the vast majority of them wanted to get the vaccine, but they were concerned because they had no pay sick days. So that means they'd actually lose pay to get a vaccine that we're all supposed to get. And if they had to have it, if they had, you know, side effects, if they had like a day of a fever, which is very common with the vaccine, again, they had to lose pay or go to work feeling sick, which doesn't help their patients. It doesn't help them. Um, and obviously we need to support access to the vaccination, but in fact, pay sick days are part of that. So if you want to encourage access to the vaccination, uh, we really need to support pay sick days. There's been a lot of talk about, about vaccine mandates, but we also need to talk about a mandate for paid sick days. Every worker and every health worker, which should be the most obvious, uh, but it shouldn't be confined to them. Every worker needs to have paid sick days. And that's why we need these government mandates to enforce them. Would you share with us some of your self-care practices that keep you well so that you can continue to do this important work? much more fortunate position and having greater access to the social determinants of health, um, which a lot of people don't have. And that I think as well as a, is a wellness practice for which I, I just have better access. And I want everybody to have access to those basic social determinants of health. Um, but then as well, you know, as this campaign has showed us the we've been advocating for this since 2014. 
Uh, and so um, I think that, that we can win this, but this is obviously a long haul. And I don't think any games have ever been won uh, rapidly and quickly. Uh, and so um, that means that, you know, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint, and that people just have to, you know, be able to have that good balance that you talked about in terms of, you know, some time for the movement, some time for yourself. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the stress of the system can be stressful enough, plus trying to change things, it can be an added layer, um, you know, both of, of inspiration, but also of exhaustion and just, you know, being able to, um, you know, to have a, a, a kind of longer term view that 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 we can make significant changes, um, but that uh, it can only come about by involving the largest number of people. And that, being, that means being able to accommodate people at different stages in their life, um, at, at different levels um, of, um, of, of involvement um, and with and with a long term goal. What are your self care practices? Um, Netflix, <laughs> which I'm not sure if it's too much self-care or self-sabotage, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just sit on the couch and just tune out to try to get outside, get into nature. I think that's really soothing and, and grounding, um, what, what little nature there is in the city. Uh, and, uh, nice cup of coffee goes a long way. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, and we really, truly appreciate you being here today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully next time we can talk about how we won Pacer Days. Thank you for listening to the Spring Podcast. Our researcher is Sarah Saheed and our audio engineer is Brian the Vanayaham. To learn more about Spring, please visit our website at springmag.ca. We welcome your feedback. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes, you can send us an email at info at springmag.ca.